0: And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. church. I hope you are doing well on this Sunday, this Labor Day weekend. Uh, hello to everybody watching online, those of you traveling who couldn't be with us this weekend. We miss you. It's not the same without you, but we hope you're having a great Labor Day weekend. We're in the mini-series like Abigail just said. Um, we're answering questions from that survey. Last week we talked about worry, um, stress, We talked about how many of us are stressed out and worried consistently, and how we need to remember the goodness of God, and that actually makes a big difference. We talked about um, that passage in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're actually going to be back in the Sermon on the Mount today. After this mini-series, though, you know, we have our birthday Sunday coming up in two weeks, which will be fun. We're kind of doing like a vision message that day. And then after that, we're kicking off the book of Galatians as a church, which is going to be really fun. We're just going to work through it and go through it. And it's going to be the same thing as our small groups, which will be coming up soon. Make sure to be back next week. Sign up for a small group. Um, but we're in this mini-series, and there was a lot of questions surrounding how do I relate to people around me? How am I a good neighbor? How am I a good friend? How am I good— a good coworker. How do I, like, share my faith without being really weird? And how do I, like, make sure that I'm not, like, just the same as everybody else? But also, like, there's just lots of questions around those ideas. Um, so we kind of combine them into one thing, and we're going to be talking about how to neighbor based on uh, Jesus's teaching of being salt and light. And I'm excited for it this morning, because I think some of us tend to swing one way or the other, like we do with so many things. We either look the same as everybody else, and it might be years before somebody finds out you're actually a Christian, or you're super aggressive and people think, wow, this person is coming on strong, and all they want to do is convert me. And so you don't have that in between where we're like, we actually build a real relationship and we really care about you, but we we care about you enough to be like, this is good for you. This is the real truth, the way. Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, Let's go ahead and pray before we jump in. God, thank you for your goodness and grace and mercy that's new every day. God, would we receive it in this moment? moment? Would we just sit in your grace, knowing that because of what Jesus has done, we have peace with you, knowing that we can grow into who you're calling us to be, not by our own strength or by our own power, but by your spirit, by transforming us. God, would we receive your word, and would we be changed because of it in Jesus' name? Amen. Wow, I was talking fast, I feel like. I had a lot of caffeine and no food. (laughs) I was like heading into the prayer, and I'm like, wow, I am faster than normal. I need to eat something. Um, Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, is it good for anything? How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that you may, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's Jesus teaching. Again, for those who weren't here last week, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. This is probably Jesus' most famous sermon it's his teaching on what does it look like to live in the kingdom of heaven what does it look like to follow the ways of Jesus and live out the kingdom values he's like this is how you pray this is how you think these are the beatitudes this is kind of like the way you orient your mind these are the habits this is what matters to you this is what generosity looks like and he's teaching all of these things about kingdom life how do we live out our faith practically And he gets to this section and he says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. We're salt and we're light. G.C. Morgan, in his commentary on Matthew, said, in circumstances of corruption and darkness. I love that because it stuck out to me of like why salt and light matter so much is that salt is fighting against corruption and moral decay and light is pushing away darkness. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Do I have any salt fans out there? People who like love salt? Yeah. Lydia raised her hand so fast. She was like, yes. Um, and everybody else joined in a second later. She had a lot of caffeine like me. Um, but salt is so good and our kids love it. Like we get the Trader Joe's garlic salt where it's already got garlic in there and everything. And we have to really like take it away and put it on a high shelf because they will just grind it until it's like, Uh, complete dusting over their whole plate. Um, But Jesus isn't actually talking about seasoning right here. He's talking about preservation. Um, Because in the context, more than seasoning the food, salt would have been used to preserve the food. They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have modern conveniences like that. So salt, its primary focus, more than seasoning, would have been to keep things fresh. And so when he says, you are the salt of the earth, He's saying, you are the preservatives. You are the ones who are stopping that moral decay, that corruption, the drift away from the values of God. And so he's saying, if you lose your saltiness, you're no longer of value in the same way that you were. This is part of our role as a follower of Christ, is to be salt and be light. I I like that he says, "Work on." he doesn't say work on being salt. He doesn't say, try to become more salty. He's he's saying, you are the salt. This is inherent to who we are. We're to be in the world, but not of it. We don't stand totally apart and run away. You know, sometimes we have a tendency inside of us and just be like, we're going to just do our own thing and be completely separate. Or we swing to the other end of the spectrum and we're like, we're just going to be the same as everybody else. And we're supposed to be in the world and of it. We're supposed to be actively involved, but our involvement should look like preservation, holding up the truth and God's standards. This is a little bit longer of a quote, but I think it's worth sharing. This is from a different commentary on Matthew, and it says, believers who fail to arrest corruption, I love just the intensity of that phrase, arrest corruption, become worthless as agents of change and redemption. That our ability to actually see the change that God desires us to have in the world is stopped when we don't actually fight against corruption. Christianity may make its peace with the world and avoid persecution, but it is thereby rendered impotent to fulfill its divinely ordained role. It will thus ultimately be rejected even by those whom it has sought compromise. I love how concise this quote is, where Bloomberg is basically saying when we stop being that guard in society and in culture and and in our world around us, when we stop doing that, which we tend to do, he's saying we drift towards it. We do it because it's easier. We want to avoid persecution. We want peace. We don't want people to be mad at us. So it's easier just to be like, yeah, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to step in in that situation. He's like, but when we do that, the very people we hope to reach and we're trying to make peace with in the moment— actually say you're no longer of any value he they reject us the, for the same reason we chose to compromise our value to the world around us is dependent upon us being a positive impact he then says you are the light of the world a town built on a hill cannot be hidden neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl he, that would be pointless he said instead you put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Light brings illumination. If salt is a preservative, light brings the revelation of God. His plan, his purposes, it's shared with the world around us. I mean, Jesus teaches in John that he is the light of the world. And as followers of Jesus, we're like mini-lights. You know, Christian means like Christ. It's saying we're following him. We're trying to become like him. And so in the way that he is the light of the world, we're like a mini light to the world. The church isn't supposed to be hidden. It's supposed to be something that pushes back darkness. We're meant to stand out. We're supposed to be noticeable. We're supposed to be in it, but not of it. We're supposed to be actively participating, but not looking the same, not running and also not conforming. We're supposed to stop decay and darkness. So what I wanted to do this morning, since it's a little bit more of a topical message in nature anyways, is give us four ways to be salt and light. Four ways that we can relate to people around us and care for them and love them, but also show them who Christ is. And the first way is serve. The first way is to serve, and that's valuing people. I have a little subtitle for each of these four points. When we value people, it's so much easier to serve them. Look at what Jesus teaches in Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me when I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Or thirsty, or give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or, or needing clothes to clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters in my name, you did for me. Whatever you did for one of these brothers or sisters of mine, whatever you've done for the least of these, depending on your translation, he's saying, whatever you've done in service and love to others, you've done for me when we value people and serve them Jesus takes it personally Jesus takes it personally he's like it's you might as well have done it for me for those of us who are parents maybe you have a slight experience of this you feel loved when people love your kids you you feel cared for when somebody cares for your children how much more so when God, who's created everyone, is saying, when you care for people who need it, the least of these, those who are hungry and thirsty and need clothing and need shelter or, need, or are lonely and need a friend, when you do that, you're doing it as if you're doing it to me. We have a kid's book. It's one of my favorite uh, children's books. I wish my kids liked it a little more because they're like, no, I don't want to read that one. I'll read a different one. But when I do convince them to read it, it's about Ronnie Wilson. And Ronnie is like, so excited about what God has done for him. He has this like revelation of God's love, and he's like, I just want to do something back for God. And he's trying to think of all these ways. He's like thinking about how he can mail God a letter or all these things, and he can't come up with a good solution. And you're kind of following Ronnie throughout the day when he's brainstorming, and you see that he goes to get ice cream with his family, and he notices another kid's ice cream fell on the ground, but then gives them his. And then later in the story, the same thing happens with a balloon, and he later does it with his baseball glove, and He's trying to bounce on his trampoline and like think about how can I like throw something to heaven or mail God a letter. And he ends up laying down at the end of the day and praying. He's just like, God, I wish I could have done something to repay you. I wish I could have done something to show you that I love you because you've loved me so much. And in the night, Jesus visits him in a dream and he's like, you did. You gave me your ice cream cone. You gave me your balloon. You gave me your baseball glove. And I just love that kid's story. It actually makes me cry. Um, but I think it's just a beautiful, it's written much better than I just told you. Um, it's just a, a practical picture of sometimes we're just like serving is just serving. It's something we do because, you know, we should or it's something we do because, you know, God encourages us to. But when we actually think about doing it as if we were doing it for Jesus, it changes it. It's suddenly a little bit different. Like, I can, I can talk myself into the value of doing something just because it's a good thing to do. But when I'm thinking about, man, Jesus is, is saying, if I do that, it's doing it to him. It changes how I view it. In the kingdom, you know, serving is just part of our new DNA. Jesus himself says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the universe— perfect, came to serve, came to lay his life down for others. Part of following Christ means we follow that model of service and valuing people. In the kingdom of God, if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Our perspective really does change when we view it like this. Because if I see you just as weak, I may help or if I see that you're in need, I might do something about it. But when I see you as valuable, I serve you from a different place. Not as a project. When I see that like you are created in God's image, it, it changes the posture from me being better and helping you to me being in a place of humility and, and serving you. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. That ambition, that pride, that conceit goes away when we value other people. So if you want to be salt and light, if you want to have a positive impact on the world around you, if you want to be a preservative and you want to share the good news of Jesus and illuminate the world around you, build those relationships, serve people. If you want to serve people, remember how valuable they are. Remember that they matter to God, that they're not a project, they're a person, they're made in God's image, and that he cares about them deeply. The second thing is study. We need to to serve and value people, but we also need to study people. We need to learn their values, learn what matters to them. Like they talk about this in marriage, right? If you want a good marriage, like care about what the other person cares about. That doesn't mean everything, but have some common ground, Find, find something that you can share. Find something that you can appreciate. Paul was a master at this. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 21 to 23. To those not having the law, I became one like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. He's like, I became like them because I wanted to win them to Jesus. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I became all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I love that. He's like, I did everything I could for, to win a few people. He's like, whatever I needed to do to find common ground, I did it. And I think sometimes we view that interaction from people who, who we see as far from Christ, we view it more as a battleground than looking for common ground. We see the gap of what isn't there instead of saying, well, let's start with what we do have. When I was a youth pastor, I would study video games I was not interested in. I I couldn't get myself to the place where I was like playing them all the time, but I would read about them. I would like look them up on the internet and be like, what is this game all about? Like, why are they so into it and like learn it? So that when they showed up at youth group or I went to an event where a bunch of youth were at, I could talk about it so i could find some common ground so that i could relate to them or i'd find out what other thing they're into whatever tv show it was or whatever thing in culture i would learned to speak their language i still do this i'd be like tiger what does that mean when people say cap or no cap like what is that like <laughs> you know but that's just the missional side of being a christian it's finding common ground it's finding common ground Paul's whole reason for finding common ground, he's like, To the weak, I become weak. To these people, I become like this. I'm going to do everything I can so that I might win some. He's like, I have a purpose in studying their values. It's so that I can find common ground and build a relationship and point them to Jesus. I want to be able to re- relate to people. To be salt and light, we need to find common ground instead of battleground. Paul does this again in Acts chapter 17. He, in Acts chapter 17, it talks about him visiting a few different places, and later in the chapter, he goes to Athens. And he's like in Athens, and it's kind of recording his commentary. He's like um, talking about how he realizes they're into all of these different idols and different things, and, and he has this moment later in the chapter where he stands up. This is verse 22. He stood up in the meeting, uh, And said, people of Athens, I see in every way you are very religious. You see what he's doing there, right? He's finding common ground. Earlier in the chapter, you're seeing like, he's like, man, they're kind of off on a lot. Like they have all of these idols. They're doing all these things that are not pleasing to God. But he doesn't start there. He doesn't come in and be like, guys, this is all the stuff you're doing wrong. He starts with common ground. He's doing what he talked about in 1 Corinthians. He's saying to the weak, I become weak. To these people, I become that. I'm finding common ground. I'm studying what they value. I see that you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, do you see his student nature? Do you see how observant he is? Do you see how he actually cares about them holistically and isn't only on a mission? He's on a mission, but he's doing it in love and understanding. As I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're not ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. He found that common ground that became a bridge to sharing the gospel, the unknown God. When we we love people enough and value them and serve them and look for common ground, it opens the door to being light. It opens the door to sharing the good news of the gospel. So we need to serve, we need to study, and we need to shine. We need to live our values. Do you see how they're all value-based? Like when we value people, it's easier to serve them. When we study their values, we can find common ground that although there may be a lot we disagree on, there's something we agree on. There's something, there's some sort of missional common ground we can find. And then when we live our values, it's attractive. When we live our values. This is why Jesus is saying if salt loses its saltiness, it's not worth anything. It's no longer doing what it's meant to do. But when you are consistently living it out, it catches people's attention. If you work in a job where, where you look different than other people because you don't, you don't talk the same way or you don't have the same values about cutting corners or being deceptive in the dealings, if you, that people notice that. It might rub them the wrong way sometimes, but they notice it. And some people, it will draw them in. Paul says, I do all things to all people by all means, that I might win some. Because he's realistic in his evangelism. He understands that I'm going to find common ground with everybody, but it's only going to build a bridge with some. Some people are going to not like it. And this is what the commentary Bloomberg was saying too. He's like, in order for everyone to like us, we actually lose our witness with everybody. Because when we truly live out the gospel, it's going to push some people away, but it's going to pull others in. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit. Many of us... If we grew up in church, we memorized this. It's love and joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. When you have joy that's from the Lord, that joy that's kind of overflowing, people want that. People are curious about that. Or if you have patience, that isn't just for a moment, but it's actually like enduring. Like You have that ongoing patience that, that's just different. It's not even from you. It's from the Lord. People notice that. Or kindness that regularly is in action. Or goodness that points to God when you're faithful and gentle. When you have supernatural self-control, people notice those things. The fruit of the Spirit become our values. And when we live those out, it shines before other people. Romans 15.2. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. That's not a verse like we hear a lot. Like we don't, we don't hear that preached straight through. We don't hear that like dissected. We, we hear the other parts of Romans where it's like, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and you're no longer uh, um, condemned. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And all those things are very, very important. But Scripture is Scripture, and Paul is, is writing this to the Romans. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. I love, Eugene Peterson kind of has a paraphrased version of the Bible, the message, maybe you've seen it, and he says the how can I help mentality. He's like that how can I help? What can I do to build you up, to serve, to live before other people? And that brings us to the last thing, is to share. To share. And this is important, to actually share my values, to get to the point where you actually say something. Some people are really good just at number four, and some people completely ignore number four. Some people are like, I'm just going to go and talk about the gospel. And I love that. Evangelism is so important. It is the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. We need to do it. We need to do it better and more often than we do. But we also need to love people and serve people and care about justice and meet their needs and and understand who they are and find that common ground. But we also can't just do all of those other things that I just listed and never share the gospel. Romans 10.14 says, How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? He's just breaking it down logically. He's like, they can't actually know the good news of the gospel unless somebody tells them. At some point, you have to tell them. You have to share the good news of Jesus. They want to see it and hear it. I heard the story earlier this week from another pastor, and he talked about when he came to Christ. He grew up in a family that didn't go to church, uh, that loved to have fun. He got into lots of trouble he shouldn't have. He's talking about all of these things, kind of his upbringing. And he talked about how there was he had heard parts of the gospel and people had shared it with him, but there was somebody who came to him when he was working. He was at work and he was outside. This is in California. And he goes, and they just said, you look thirsty and like hot. Can I get you a drink? And they just went and they bought him a drink and came back to the store and gave it to him. And they just started like caring for him. And then they shared the gospel. And he goes, in that moment, I heard the gospel, he goes, but I actually listened for the first time. I actually, like, received it. He goes, I had heard bits and pieces before, but the Spirit of God did what, you know, the Spirit of God does. It's, it's not us. It's not that. But God spoke to him in that moment differently as that person matched the message with love, with real compassion. That when we do these things, when we serve and we care and we have common ground and we love people, it opens the door to the goodness of God, to the good news of the gospel, to the truth of who he is. 1 Peter 3, 15-16, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Hopefully you have hope part of our mission statement, find hope and follow Jesus. It's actually something that God cares about a lot. He goes, you should have hope that people notice. And he goes, and you should be prepared to give that reason. But look how he says, he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. If we want to be salt and light, we need to like, live like Christ, and share the good news of Christ. It's not just one or the other. And depending on your temperament, you might like one more than the other, but it's both. It's living the life that Christ has called to you that prevents spiritual decay and moral decay and corruption in our culture. But it's sharing the good news that shines the light of Jesus and draws other people in. It has to be both of those things. It's sharing with kindness and respect It's keeping a clear conscience before them and before God, saying I'm living in accordance to the message that I'm sharing, that my words and my actions line up. And none of us are perfect. All of us fall short of that standard, but are we growing into it? Are we salt and light? Do we look more like Jesus? We need to be evangelists, but we can't be angry evangelists. We have to do it with gentleness and respect. I have a friend who went on a missions trip to Kenya, and they talked about how this guy got led to Christ, had a a radical change of heart. Just The the goodness of God just seemed so real to him. He's just like, everybody needs to know about this Jesus. He's like, I have to go tell somebody. And so (laughs) my missionary friend went with the guy uh, to a local bar, and the guy walked in and pulled out a gun, and pointed it at the guy at the bar and said, give your life to Jesus right now. (laughs) And my missionary friend had to talk to him and be like, guys, this is not how we do it. It can't just be the message, and it can't just be the living like Christ. It has to be both. If we want to love our neighbors, if we want to love our coworkers, if we want to have a positive influence and impact, if we want to live the kingdom values and see the kingdom of God expand, which Jesus promises to do, Ephesians 3 says this is his plan. It is the plan of God to use the church to reveal the manifold witness of his goodness. It's his plan. The church is his plan to reach the world. But we do that by being salt and light. By slowing down the changes and corruption of the world, by living our values, and by also sharing the goodness of God. Verse 16, back to our original passage, Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That when we live it out, it glorifies God and points others to Jesus. In Ephesians, when it talks about how we're saved, it says you're saved by grace, through faith. It's not of works. Nobody can brag about it and be like, I'm so awesome. God saved me. No, God wants to save everybody, and he's the one who's awesome. The very next part of that passage says that we're saved, and he's prepared good works ahead of time for us to do, that we may walk in them. That's my hope and prayer for us. As we talk about how do we neighbor, how do we, how do we not come on strong, but also make sure we're sharing the goodness of God. It's, it's these four things. It's serving by valuing other people, actually seeing them as valuable to God. It's studying, finding common ground with them so that you can relate to them. It's shining and living out the values that God has instilled in you, being filled with the fruit of the spirit and then actually sharing, telling them about the goodness of God. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you that you've shined your light in us and made us new. That those of us who've, who've made that decision to follow you, you, you've forgiven us of our sin, you've forgiven us of the ways we've fallen short of your standard, forgiven us for all of the ways that we've broken your law. But God, you've made us new. And you've not just made us new, but you've given us an assignment and a purpose to live out. God, would you help us to not lose our saltiness or not hide our light under a basket, but would we live it out? God, would we, would we not just serve because we know we should? Would we serve because we value people and we see that when we serve them, we serve you? God, would we, would we find common ground? Would we love people and not just view them as a project, but actually care about them and what they care about? God, would we live the Christian life? Would we look more like you over time? so that people can see our good works and glorify you. Not glorify us, but glorify you. And God, would you give us boldness to share the message? God, I know that the disciples prayed and that it said the place shook and they left with courage. God, the boldness we need isn't from ourselves. We need supernatural boldness from you. So God, would you, would you fill us with the words and with the desire and with the courage to share the good news of Jesus. God, would we see our our little worlds start to change? Would we see the impact it has in our families, in our workplaces, and in our schools as we are salt and light? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.